Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome to Nightlight, everybody. So glad you could join us today, uh, or tonight. I guess that depends upon where you are on the globe, but thank you for joining us. I want to thank um, Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. Please seek him out on the Internet. He and his wife are native storytellers, and they have preserved their history and their cosmology through their stories and their storytelling in a phenomenal way. Seek him out. It's interesting and it's definitely an educational way of understanding how history and 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 hierarchy can be passed generation to generation to generation without the benefit of dusty books. I ha- I'm very excited today because I have with us Amit Goswami and he is an amazing man, and he's the the book we're going to be talking about is the Quantum Brain. We all desire more meaning and purpose in our lives, a critical obstacle that you will need to surmount before achieving this worthy goal is your conditioned brain. Fortunately, you can reframe this obstacle as an opportunity for transformation to a new you in charge of your brain and using it optimally to manifest the infinite quantum potentiality that your consciousness has in store for you. The meaning of quantum physics was highly obscured. While researching this, Amit discovered that when quantum physics is formulated with the metaphysics of qualified non-dualism as in Indian Vedanta, questions regarding meaning are immediately resolved. His work thus integrates science and spirituality. This work has culminated in his most recent book with the physician Valentina Onsor, Quantum Spirituality. Subsequently, he developed the theory of reincarnation and integrated conventional and alternative medicine and the new quantum science of health. 
Among his discoveries are the quantum theory of the creative process, the theory of quantum evolution, and the theory of quantum economics that extends Adam Smith's capitalism into a workable paradigm for the 21st century. He is a retired professor of physics from the University of Oregon, where he served on the faculty from 1968 to 97. He is the author of numerous books, and you can underline numerous. Most notably, The Self-Aware Universe, Physics of the Soul, The Quantum Doctor, God is Not Dead, Quantum Creativity, and the Everything Answer Book. He was featured in the movie, What the Bleep Do You Know? Do We Know, sorry? And the documentaries, Dalai Lama, Renaissance, and The Quantum Activist. He's a spiritual practitioner and calls himself a quantum activist in search of wholeness. To To learn more about him, please visit www.amitgaswami.org. He is an amazing man, and his accomplishments are beyond belief. He is definitely a quantum person for sure. Welcome to the show, Amit. So glad you're here today. Glad to be here, Barbara. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's it's truly an honor. Um I, I have to admit your book was fascinating. I had to look up a lot of words, but um, it, it opens some doors for me that, that I hadn't really realized were actually there. And so in many ways it um, opened venues for me that I hadn't really thought about going into. And the fact that you are finally combining science and spirituality uh, is is amazing and I think something that is very important for everybody to understand that there are links, there are bridges, and there is a a connection to the two of them that enhance us in many ways that people hadn't thought before. And um, to to start out with, my audience, as I said before, um, is, is basically metaphysically oriented. So bringing in the quantum aspects of it it's very exciting for me because I think it's so important that we we understand all of the connections we have to the universe, not just the the the, the uh, spirituality, but there is a science of spirituality as well, which is really quite profound. Um, I guess first of all, the the one term that everybody is going to understand that, that everybody throws around constantly is consciousness. How would you describe consciousness? And quantum physics is very straightforward. Uh, This is the best part of understanding quantum physics. In quantum physics, all objects are possibilities. And as soon as you say the word possibility, you realize that you are needed because otherwise who will choose among the possible alternatives that are presented? In this way, consciousness is needed. And that's the beginning. If you put human individual consciousness into the equation, there are paradoxes. I solved those paradoxes by saying boldly, very boldly at that time, this is like imagine, like, like, uh, when I published the paper, that consciousness is the ground of our being. The world is based on consciousness. If that is the case, if it is cosmic consciousness, if it is everybody's consciousness, then no 
paradoxes arise. Quantum problem of understanding it, what is called quantum measurement theory, all these are solved. So this is indeed a momentous event in the history of science, although I do not expect that it will be recognized as such in my lifetime, but in the future it will, um, because it uh, finally uh, integrates, as you said many times already, science and spirituality, the two great traditions on which our civilization is built. Absolutely. So where does consciousness come from? So consciousness is the it. It is the original. And therefore it does not come from anything. It is what the world is about. Consciousness and its possibilities. When consciousness chooses, the world as we know it manifests in our experience. This is what quantum physics is saying. This is straight quantum physics. Without consciousness to experience, we do not have any manifest world. The world consists of potentialities only. So, in other words, then consciousness is the soul of the universe. Consciousness is the existence. Existence is consciousness. And from the possibilities of consciousness, consciousness creates itself in a manifest way in our brain and at the same time the world that we experience with our brain. So it all comes from consciousness, just as mystical people are saying for millennia. It all comes from <laughs> consciousness. It does. And, and you know, it's, it's amazing when you think of a cosmic consciousness and then a personal consciousness because certainly the two are made of the same fabric and 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 it's fascinating in that if so that is the case then we do have a link to cosmic consciousness and it's a matter of opening those doors or understanding the methods in which we contact that other level of consciousness is that appropriate that is appropriate, and this is indeed in uh, one of the goals of uh, being a human. Um, there are clearly two goals. One is the goal in manifestation. We uh, try to manifest subtler and subtler experiences, better and better, happier and happier, more and more intelligent. That's one thing. We make the manifest reality reflect the perfection of what ancient people call heaven, that bringing heaven onto earth. So that is our first objective. And when that objective is uh, accomplished, uh, at that point, any person can choose to go out of the game. But uh, that uh, is very far away because we have the cosmos, you know, extraterrestrials and so forth. So human beings have a lot of journey in manifestation itself. So time for uh, saying goodbye to the world is premature. So, so when you speak of the conditioned brain. So when we are born, we have it, it's sort of like we have um, it's like a computer, and we and you you talk about re 
reprogramming or rewiring the brain, um, is that a process of t- taking it out of its its it's like taking something out of the box and then having to read the directions in order to make it work as 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 well as it should. So, how do we know how to rewire or rework the brain in order to give us this potential that we have within us? Yes, this is, of course, the big question, and this is what we have solved in the quantum brain. The conditioned brain evolved for millions of years, uh, first as animals, and um, mammals were the first creatures who had a brain uh, with which consciousness could experience. So mammals Uh can experience feeling as separate from themselves. As we all know, dogs and cats are quite conscious. Um, But they experience with feelings. They cannot experience meaning. They cannot experience the mind. They do not have the capacity, brain capacity, to manifest the mental possibilities yet. Human beings can do that. It begins a little bit before human beings. Uh, One believes that chimpanzees, uh, dolphins certainly uh, can already manifest some mental thinking, but of course they do not have language capacity. Language capacity is a big development in the human brain. So now we not only can think, but we can think and communicate with each other with language. This is very wonderful. Uh, but this is all still just catching the surface of what the brain is capable of giving us because we have uh, consciousness and its possibilities and the greatest possibilities come to us through cosmic consciousness itself. In that cosmic consciousness, we experience what Plato called the archetypes, what uh, spiritual literature calls attributes of God. Those are the human Uh values, like beauty, justice, truth, those things that we value. So those things, uh, we had just scratched the surface of um, manifesting these archetypes. We have made some progress in manifesting abundance. Certainly, we are richer now in the world. Affluence is wonderful. poor gradually is decreasing in all countries. So this is the good part of the scientific evolution. However, science at the dark side, dark side is that it has vanished the archetypes. It has accepted the materialist dogma. So now we are stuck. We are not moving in consciousness. We are moving, not moving in the civilization direction in embodying the archetypes anymore. So uh, shows like yours, this alternative science that is developing under the aegis of quantum science, this is very good development, transpersonal psychology, psychical experiences, UFOs, all these things that you um, publicize on your uh, show and in this session. And these are all very good news for uh, the, uh, creating an opening from this logjam that has taken place that is that has divided our society. We don't go into that very much, but the problem with the old brain is precisely that these things are bound to happen. The old brain gives us me-centeredness. 
The old brain gives us negative emotional brain circuit. The old brain also gives us the pleasure circuit. We can get into lost into any of these. Me-centeredness, we get so easily lost. That's how social media and political leaders control us. They promise the me-centered eye various things that would never keep, but we believe them. We are manipulated easily in the me-centeredness. And then, of course, negative emotions, those everybody suffers from. And then pleasure, well, okay, so not everybody is an addict, but we can uh, easily become addicts. And, you know, in America, this is a regular problem, substance addiction. So in this way, we, with the Newtonian brain, we are stuck with uh, stuff that we really, in the right mind, cannot want. Although some people do want them. Some people are naturally violent, they want to dominate others, they want to manipulate. Uh, but those people aside, I think most people in the right mind would want to be good, except that being good is not easy. This is what the spiritual traditions have been making a mistake for millennia. They have always said that it's very easy. No, it's not very easy. It requires creativity. Now we have <laughs> discovered the creative process. At the same time, we have discovered, no, you have to go through the process. Otherwise, you cannot change. You cannot be good starting with negative emotions and me-centeredness. It's not easy. No, that's very, very true. I've often said to people that we create our reality by our perception of it, and, and, and that's part of how you make changes within your life. I, I know that, that there are so many influences out there that, that tend to want to they take us down the wrong trail about what's important as far as life and evolution and, and, and the spiritual growth and, and where we're, what we're learning this lifetime. How, how would you say, you know, what would you say to someone that says to you, okay, I want to reprogram my brain, how do I do it? Um, and and that, that's a question that I've gotten from a lot of people that have, you know, looked at your book and looked at the write-up on it and say, okay, well, how do I do that? And it, as you said, it's not an easy process. It's like everything else. You get out of it what you put into it. And and so if you if you if you use how how would you suggest to people start to open to this to the positive that is within them and rebalance their brains so that there is a better flow of energy not only towards the science but towards the metaphysical as well because a good balance is is, is required for perfection. Yes, the, the biggest problem is our belief system. Now, you said in the beginning that this audience is spiritual. This help is a great help. So for spiritual people, they already have crossed one barrier, belief system. Today's people, however, most of today's people are not spiritual. They are materialists. And this is a problem. The belief system is a huge problem. The belief system of materialism says what the brain is, is all you got, you could ever get, so make the best out of it. And therefore, the best out of it, of course, we have violence. Best out of it, we have misinterpretation. We have pleasure, so might as well enjoy the pleasure. So, you know, this is the aging can be very materialist. I've been saying that also for millennia. So the problem is that precisely. 
because a large fraction of people can be manipulated by this materialist intelligentsia in our academe. Uh, therefore, uh, uh, this search, which is already a little bit difficult, as I said, creativity is not easy. Although it's not that hard, I will I will give you the steps, and you will see that it is really uh, not as hard as it seems initially. In other words, creativity usually is presented as a discontinuity, discontinuous leap, quantum leap. But uh, before the quantum leap, there's a lot of continuous things we can do, such as meditation and how that works. When we studied the brain, Barbara, this is a really uh, it was so pleasing to me because I uh, marveled about the brain myself. You know, when I wrote Self-Power Universe 30 years ago, um, I didn't know the brain very well. I knew the brain only cursorily. So I have been researching the brain all these years, and what I have found is absolutely uh, beautiful. Brain is not as bad as one uh, thinks in the first place. Okay, so it creates the ego. It creates the misinterpretation. It, it inherits all these negative emotions from animals. All that is fine. But you know, it has in it, it has in it, built in already, stuff that we can use to get out of this. If we grow a child properly, this is an amazing thing. A child's brain is a growing thing. If we know what is in the rope for the child, what really is in the potentiality, and the parents educate themselves and spend time, that is the responsibility of fatherhood and motherhood. You spend time with your child. You brought the child in this world. You have a responsibility towards this little child, little person. And if they grow the child properly, there are circuits already built into our collective unconscious by our sweet ancestors, and we can inherit those things fairly easily. This is the good part of it. Other good part of it is that the brain has a built-in pre-conscious domain that connects the quantum self, the cosmic consciousness, and the individual consciousness. And so if we learn to enter this pre-conscious, which is what meditation does, then uh -huh. we also gradually discover this quantum self, and then it is not so much of a mystery anymore. Well, that's true. And, and it's a matter of um, opening those channels. Uh, you know, very, very frequently people who are getting on a, a pathway exploring their spirituality will have what, what I call mountaintop experiences when that door opens and they suddenly, you know, take a deep breath and they, and they, see, they see forever. And, and, you know, of course, then it clamps down again. It's kind of like work for it to get it again. And once you, once you are on that pathway, once you understand, and for me, personally, uh, creativity has been what has opened almost every door I have because I have found once you are creative, once you are working with that, that the, the, the aspect of creation, you become a part of creation and it opens to you. And the important thing is that, that in any creative process, you do it because you love it, not because you're forced to do it. And, and when creation yeah. is just flowing out of you naturally, um, creation opens to you. 
And, and you don't have to be, yeah, and you don't have to be good at it. You just have to enjoy it. I think that's the thing that most people don't understand. I, I like to paint. I'm not particularly good at it, but I love to paint and I can get lost in it. And quite often a creative process becomes a meditation that opens you to greater potentialities that you have within yourself. Yes, you put it so very beautifully. That's it. You have to enjoy it. And the reason you can enjoy it is that it expands your consciousness. Uh, uh-huh. You just have to switch from the pleasure modality that we usually prefer, most people prefer, because it is kind of effortless and it, is, it can be explosive, like in sex. Um, and so people think that uh, what can be better than this? For example, even spiritual people often compare a spiritual experience with orgasm, which is a stupid thing to do. Because orgasm, forgive me, was stupid. I should say that because many erudite people have said such things. Um, this, there is no comparison. The two is what I'm trying to say. Orgasm is molecular. It is explosive. Indeed, we um, feel great. But after orgasm, what happens? Every yeah. man knows women, uh, women's experience is slightly different because uh, they don't orgasm the men's way, and they could with the clitoris, but usual bhajan yeah. orgasm is a, is a gentle process. But men immediately feel kind of, oh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a, a little bit of disappointment. The process was much better, although in the process we want the orgasm desperately but as soon as it is done, we are kind of finished. I mean, it, it's ridiculous, the feeling that one has after it. Whereas in mystical experience, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. You work hard, work hard, work hard, resilient, as you said, and that part has ups and downs, you know. Um, but uh-huh. you know, once you get quantum leap, then the effect of it, the expansion of consciousness during which you manifest, the insight that part is so sweet and this is this is where you know, love comes in this is where you enjoy it you enjoy the flow between the cosmic and the mundane you enjoy the flow between the ego and the quantum self the brain cooperates this is the greatness of the brain this is why this three pound object is a, such a coveted object it is really a wonderful object because at that moment uh-huh. if we are in the quantum and quantum brain is coherent, loving, happy. It's a wonderful object. Um, I totally agree. I, you know, you use that, a term that I have often used, it, it, to be in the flow. And um, sometimes people you know, will say, well, why aren't you doing something else? And I, it's like you, you have to say to them, you don't understand. When you're in that flow, Nothing else matters, and everything is perfect. And you fold okay. time. And I, I think that's yeah. something that, that people don't you fold time. It's just it's amazing. Um, you can you can you can be working in the flow for eight hours, and it feels like it's been fifteen minutes. And to be in that flow, I mean, it, it's something that so many people do automatically, and then other people you know, don't understand what you're talking about. But once you have experienced it, 
you are able to click back into it at will if you so choose. And um, that's that's probably one of the of most magical parts of my life. Yes, of course, that state of um, flow at um, easy without effort that comes uh, late in the uh, developmental process, I must confess. Um, but it does come. Uh, Walt Whitman, Rabindranath Tagore, uh, some of the great poets, T.S. Eliot, they all had experienced the stability of having flow any time they desired. Um, uh, I myself uh, get into flow at least uh, two times a day, but I must confess that it is certainly not um, easy without effort as of yet. Uh, so my, for myself, place uh, to go, and that's okay because the point is that one gets to that stage when uh, one arrives at wholeness. That wholeness, um, where every contradiction disappears, conflict disappears, just takes time. That is only a matter of time and more effort. The creative process remains the same. Once you have learned the creative process, it does not go away. It it, is, it becomes part of your character. So it's just a question of resilience and you stay and, you know. Well, I think along with all of the other processes that are important for transformation, evolution, whatever you want to call it, um, to me, creativity is, is one of the key the keystones. And often when people will will talk to me and say, my life has just come to a standstill. I can't make anything work. My first question is, what are you doing creatively? Because if you can involve yourself in a creative process that you enjoy, and, that, and, and, it's not, and what's really important, at least for me from my perspective, it's creativity without a, a monetary compensation. In other words, um, when, when I first started in with this field, um, I taught special education and I did art with my kids every day and I thought, I've got that covered, you know. And then at some point in time, I realized that I was being paid for it, so therefore I couldn't, couldn't get spiritual credit for it too. And it had to be something that I did creatively for the sheer joy of creation. And once, once I figured that out, and it took longer than I'd like to admit, um, I found my life picked up, my life changed, everything changed because I was yeah. doing it because I was joyful, not because I was getting paid for it. Um, and, and uh, yeah. you know, that's just my, my perception. I don't know. It could be different for other people. It, it, is, it, it can be a little bit different because people do have to make a living, but it is the important uh-huh. thing is, Personal growth um, department, we always tra- talk about getting a sense of abundance. The important thing uh-huh. is, now, which you discovered, we can give up about worrying about money when we have uh, a sense of abundance with whatever little we have. And that sense of abundance does not depend on the amount so much. It, it depends, of course, as Maslow said a long time ago, hierarchy of needs. Only when we satisfy our basic needs, then only we can engage with higher needs, which requires creativity. So that remains somewhat true. 
And therefore, the obvious path for people is to worry about money until the uh, living is satisfactory, until there is no further need for making more money. Of course, if you have greed, negative emotions, then people cannot do that. Billionaires, we know very well in the political arena, in the business arena, they continue to crave for money. Greed never disappears, but that greed. So one has to get a sense of abundance and give up the greed. Instead of greed, it's a sense of abundance enters the psyche that I have enough, I have enough to survive. Then that's what happened to you, I'm just assuming. You, you tell me that then only you can give up the idea of, okay, money is not important. Creativity gives me satisfaction already, so I don't need any more money. This avoids the big, big killer of creativity that famous people often go through. Uh, name and fame is now a motivator for creativity, but this kind of creativity is little creativity. You never get uh-huh. to big creativity in searching for name and fame. This is why creativity is drying up in the United States of America. Such a great creative culture is losing it. The reason is, yeah. of course, this name and culture. <clears throat> well, I, you know, I've often, I often tell people I'm very rich. I just don't have any money, and um, and and it's true. But but always, always, the universe takes care of those who are taking care of the universe. And and you know, it's sort of like, if is there enough? Yeah, there's enough. Well, then I'm not going to worry. And you know, that's yeah. that's. I can only speak from my perspective. But um, I do feel that that you're right. I think especially in the U.S. today, um, people are more materialistically oriented than spiritually oriented out of of need, out of fear. Um, There's a tremendous amount of fear in this country at this particular point in time. And that that is a a monumental um, hump to get over to, to once you trust that, that you're going to be all right. And once you know you're going to be all right, then things start to turn around for you. But it's that it's that getting over that hump that is so difficult for so many. I know that um so so that so that when we're born our our brain it, it, when we're born our brain does carry material though from past lifetimes, does it not? Yes, it does. And, and that helps a little, but the parents still have to create the environment uh, which can trigger the past life um, uh, characteristics, uh, habit patterns that we have built through many lifetimes. We um, have to get suitable environment because they don't come to us automatically. Uh, a few uh-huh. of them do, which is called part of character. Character is a part that becomes inseparable from you. Um, like from what you are telling me, you have a creative character, and that's not going to go away. As soon as you are born in your next life, you will still be a creative child. But there are other aspects of your character that uh, in India people call karma. Those aspects have to be triggered, and some of them are very good uh, aspects, um, uh, patterns that you need for creativity. Those things um, uh, depend on the environment. 
So parent, this is why parenting is super important. I was talking about how a child can be grown suitably. Let me go into that a little bit because we have gone through both the positive side and the negative side in the book, Quantum Brain. We have uh, some explanation of autism, how that occurs. That's the negative. Uh-huh. ADHD, that's one. Addiction, that's another one. These are the negative sides. If you stay too much on the Newtonian brain, you can suffer from all this brain-produced disorders. Positive side is beautiful because, as I said, our ancestors already have built universal uh, potentiality in altruism, in love from our mother. Uh, Altruism includes the father. So other love is also built in, beginning with the father. And then uh, self-worth is built in uh, within us. Uh, at the age uh, between five and seven, all the children, all children have an urge to get some autonomy. If parents don't create a barrier and give them some freedom, relatively speaking, uh, then children can easily inherit uh, self-worth. And then again, in puberty, they can engage with romantic love. So we have um, an in-between intuition can be uh, entered. That's the quantum brain, and uh, intuition is a very, very helpful uh, device. The archetypes come to us through intuition. Once we can intuit, creativity is much more easy to engage in than um, if you don't intuit. Creativity is not a mental, rational thing. It has non-rational aspects, and this is very hard um, unless... uh, uh, you have uh, a little bit of familiarity with these things. And that's what we have to get in our childhood. Uh, In childhood, it comes so automatically. This is the beautiful part of it. So we not only depend on the brain, we also depend on our body. We depend on partly on the heart because that's what gets engaged in mother's love, in in, um, um, altruism, in romantic uh, love. Uh, what happens is the heart becomes quantum. What happens with autonomy is that the pancreas becomes quantum, uh, navel chakra. So these three chakras, all three chakras have cells, and brain can take help from them and work cooperatively with them. Uh, women have some tendency of doing that naturally because girls have a natural tendency for other love, which is encouraged by parents. Um, in older society, especially nowadays, uh, there's not much differentiation between how the girls and boys are grown, and that is a big mistake because their bodies and brains are different. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, these questions that we have to, we have learned, we, um, the book Quantum Brain addresses much of it, and we should now uh, develop some educational uh, efforts towards teaching parents, educators, this intricacies of the brain, how if we create, keep on with the Newtonian brain, we are shortchanging our children, depriving them of great experiences, great potentiality that not only can open them to creativity, but really make a wonderful life for them, a happy life, a disease-free life, mental and physical. These things have to be understood. All the future problems 
disorders, physical and mental, emotional. All this the basis is our childhood, how we develop from childhood to adulthood. Okay, sure, there are viruses. Now, virus is creating a lot of problem for us. There are surely there are uh, accidents and stuff. But chronic disease starts in the wrong growing up in childhood, mental and physical. If somebody has anxiety neurosis in a chronic way, the answer will be found in the uh, how the child was grown. If somebody has cancer later on in life, the answer again will be found in how the child was grown. You will find that the child never discovered, never awakened his or her heart. And this is a major problem. Heart is the site of love. And love has to be there for us because it's our major prime mover. And this is why love is so much emphasized in the spiritual tradition. Yeah, I, I know parents love their children, but in order to... Um Many parents feel that they are obligated to prepare a child for life, and you know they pound into them what they feel is appropriate for a career and marriage and family, and this is what you're supposed to go for. I have found that in watching children who are from one to three or four, they are already demonstrating where their talents, where their gifts, where their where their heart's desire is. And if you encourage that aspect of them, they will grow to a fuller, richer life. In other words, if, if they like to draw, if they like to paint, if they, um, if they are um, argumentative and, 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 and realistically formatted, that maybe they'll be a good lawyer. But, but to pay attention to to what it is they are drawn to in those early years and give them reinforcement so that they can develop those aspects of themselves because they will then be a richer person for it, not necessarily with money, but with with love of life and, and the world around them. And money is not against it. I mean, this is the beautiful thing we found in quantum science. That, that just because you uh, dealt yourself with the archetypal concerns, you know, instead of just law, you talk about justice. Instead of just uh, money, you talk about abundance. This archetypal uh-huh. investigation or exploration could not take away money prospect at all. In fact, you can continue making money, provided, of course, that you should be aware that greed is a destructive emotion. And therefore, you should not be greedy. As soon as you have found abundance, as soon as you have discovered that I have enough, then stop making money. Money is a very poor objective of our creative endeavor. As you said earlier, creativity itself is a steward, but there is more. There is happiness and intelligence. Those things, surely, everybody covers. I mean, it is said that the world moves in search of happiness after all. Happiness, everybody should want. And you get happiness in uh, creative. You get happiness in quantum non-locality, expanding your consciousness. You get happiness in making a relationship which is not hierarchical, which is circular, which is equal to your spouse. 
you and your spouse can then respect each other along with loving each other. And that's the nuclear okay. kind of love. So in this way, does... we can easily, easily train the brain to be quantum. Where does the ego, how do you know, how, how can you differentiate from the ego and inspiration? I mean, some people are so intellectually um, advanced that they feel they know it all and that they have, they, have, they have a need of controlling their environment and their reality as opposed to those who are open to shifts and changes and flow. I mean, how do you tell the difference between the ego and inspiration and, you know, how, how do you tell the difference? Because, because highly intellectual people often are very manipulative. Yes. This is this is a very very good question, and and, and this, this should be the absolute beginning of our uh, discussion. And it is not very far from the beginning. We are still um, entering the main discussion, I think. So yes, uh-huh. expansion of consciousness. That's the difference. Ego is very contracted. It cannot include another. As I said, it's me-centered. I am the king of the world. I am the only conscious person. I'm more intelligent than anybody else. Um, or it's reflection. When we feel inadequate, we feel, well, I'm nobody. But that's also the other side of it. Inferiority, uh-huh. superiority, they come together. But uh, really, I am the only thing, even in my inferiority, it's me, me, me. There's just ego cannot think of anybody else. That is, we call it contracted consciousness. And because of this contraction, the, these people cannot open their mind to any other alternative way of looking at the world. This is the tragedy of contraction. They cannot include anything. Contraction means you are exclusive. You are the center of the universe, and that's an exclusive thing. You have excluded everybody else. Everybody else has opinion. And you know, what you want is what you get. So it is also a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more you want to stay in the contraction, the more contracted you become. To this expansion, how does that happen? That is also built into the brain. Because as, we, as I said earlier, that in our childhood, we have access to this quantum consciousness, quantum self. And if we go the child properly, child keeps that access. And archetypes regularly visit us in the form of flowers, in the form of sunsets, in the form of love, in the form of justice, all kinds of in the form of truth. And so we can intuit, and intuition gives us expansion. You wanted the word inspiration. Inspiration is nothing but getting into a non-local, expanded state induced by somebody else. We feel inspired something else. Like we feel inspired looking at the flower. We feel inspired looking at the running stream. We feel inspired by being with a spiritual person or a wise person. Inspiration is sharing consciousness with another person. Inspiration, the meaning of the word literally is to share consciousness with another person. So this expansion of consciousness is the main difference between 
ego and out of the ego. How do I know I'm out of the ego? Expand my consciousness and expand it to include another person or other thing. This is the sign. If I can include, instead of exclusively me, 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 if I can include another, if I can include a loved one, if I can include a friend, if I can include society, then I have expanded consciousness. So expansion can be achieved with creativity. Expansion also can be achieved with something which is a bit easier, non-localist. Somebody has it, and if that somebody is empathic towards me, we are sharing non-locality. Non-locality is signalless communication. Non-locality is when two people become one because they don't need any signals to communicate anymore. They communicate with extrasensory perception, ESP. They communicate without any signals instantly. Quantum communication, that's another way of putting it. So this non-locality is a very good thing. And how can we invite non-locality in our life? Very easy. We give up the simple hierarchical way that we set up relationships, that the ego sets up. Ego relationship is always, I am superior, you are inferior. Always. In the other side also. It's still me, I am the basic person. Okay, you can be better athlete than me, you can be more successful than me, but you are still secondary to me. You pay better attention to me. That is what the ego wants. On the other hand, when we are expand expanded when we are in a relationship which they call tangled hierarchy when we are circular with another when we look at the other with respect then i'm preparing for a non-local relationship with this person and this is what we want local relationship keeps us separate non-local relationship makes us one include better and then uh, we can be in happiness all the time because consciousness is expanded all the time. This is what you were talking about initially, all this expansion all the time, easy without effort. Those people have learned the trick of tangled relationships. All their relationships are circular. They don't look at anybody else with inferiority, superiority, hierarchy, this kind of thing. So that's the trick that we have to learn. We all have to learn. Well, and happily, we have you know as many lifetimes as we need to achieve it. Yes, we do, and we have a brain which will help us, which does help us. The brain has the capacity of making tangled hierarchy. That's how it invites cosmic consciousness within it. That's how the world manifests. The brain is really great that way. In spite of all of this conditioning, all the defects I talked about, the base level condition, brain has so much potentiality. It's incredible. If we learn to use it properly, quantum brain is the way. And we can make it more and more quantum. Initially, we make it quantum only in the neocortex, and then we can make it quantum even in the other parts of the brain. And these parts open up our ego, personality, etc. Imagine this to extraterrestrial. That's another adventure. We have to talk about it. We are uh, researching the subject, not yet uh, ready for a book, but it will happen in the future. Well, I think the, the, the most important thing, one of the most important, first of all, everybody 
well, the essence to the show probably, is looking to expand their consciousness. But, but at the same time, lots of people have, you know, small children that they're caring for and, you know, they, they want to provide for that child um, the expansiveness that it took us, what, 50, 60, 70 years to understand we want and, and hopefully to be able to give it to someone at a younger age so that they can go leaps and bounds ahead of where we are when they reach this particular age. So yeah. it's, it's... The thing. you know we today we we worry too much about will the child have a, a job that adequately supports his material needs. We worry too much. In America, one should not worry about that. America has long time ago, long time ago, for a hundred years at least. Uh, well, maybe not quite hundred years, but close, uh, seventy years since the fifties have made it so that uh, basically any person who can do a little bit of work can make adequate living. We have that. Social uh-huh. safety net, etc. So the parents should spend the time teaching the child invaluable things on which money label cannot be put. They cannot be bought by money. They are child's own gift. Parents have to be caretaker of the garden in which the child will grow. It is as simple as that. The child has all the resources. Parents just have to take care of the safety of the kid because there are also all kinds of things in the world that is negative. Negative predominates the positive. This is the way the Newtonian world today that we live is built. So parents have to protect the child. That is the parent's job. Parents have to inspire the child. That is the parent's job. Parents have to see that they are doing the right steps of the development, like developing altruism, non-locality, developing love, heart chakra, developing self-worth, navel chakra. These are the things that the parents have to watch. Developing intuition, that's when the child gets into creativity. So thriving in school in the three hours, Reading, writing, arithmetic, that's not enough. One also has to engage in inspiration, intention, intuition. I call it three R and three I, this complementarity of the two sections that the child has to be guided. If the child is so guided, there are some problems also from sexual energy coming in puberty, and those are important problems too. But uh, we don't talk about it so much in the quantum brain because the book was getting too big. So there are aspects that we haven't discussed very much. But, but uh, the brain takes part in all of this because brain uh, has good communication with the body organs. Uh, brain, classical brain, Newtonian brain controls the body organs. We have to give up the control, but still keep the communication. Could keep the good part, but give up the hierarchical bad part. And then quantum brain cooperation with quantum heart, quantum level, quantum chakras becomes the full complete. I would, whole, whole I would also, I would also throw in their compassion. Um, yes, yes. To, to me, that's yes. that's really important. But, you know, I, I think that raising a child is, is 
is a very important thing. And, and the other part is, you know, when do you let them stand on their own? When do you say, I'm going to be, like when my son was, was, I don't know, 18 or 21, I forget which, I said to him, look, you don't really need a mother anymore, but I want to be your friend. And we changed the relationship. Every now and then I pull the mother card yeah. anyhow. But, uh, but, but, but basically knowing when to step back and let them become their own person, that's, that I think for me was the hardest thing to do with my son, to say to him, you know, okay, I, you know, I'll always be, you know, I'll always back you, I'll always be your cheerleader, but you have to make the choices and pay the consequences of those choices. But I'll always love you. So, you know, and, and so I, I think I've got a very healthy relationship with him now. But a lot of parents, you know, um, I have a, a good friend who's who's got a son who's 38, and she's still hanging on and, and trying to help him do what he needs to do and, in a way, smothering the person that he could become. So knowing mm-hmm. knowing where our responsibilities are, you know, really change is really important for us as a parent to understand. Yeah, part of the problem is that we did not know the science of development um, uh, until right now. Uh, quantum science has solved this developmental problem. Now we know exactly what the steps are, and those steps are important. The uh, child's autonomy, taking charge of his own life, begins uh, at about age five. One has to, uh, after that, one has to gradually relinquish the control over the child. One still, of course, uh, protects the child, that remains important, supports the child, that remains important. But the child must be given a bigger arena to play, creative arena to play, the arena of his or her own choice to play, these multiple uh, talents not just intellectual talent, to recognize them is very important. To recognize that many children will develop in reincarnational traits a little later is very important. Very important to recognize that children work at different pace. Our educational systems are very poor right now. Even in affluent countries, they provide the education in the same way for everybody. Education is not something where you can do that. There's a huge heterogeneity among children. That has to be recognized. And then, of course, the sexual arena, how sex is to be transformed into love, those things are extremely important. So a very important thing happens about age 15. That's the next one after age 5. Um, at age 15, children develop a uh, disability, uh, develop a tendency for finding identity. Who am I? What am I going to do as part of that identity? What am I is not the first thing. Who am I is the first thing. What is the meaning of my life is the first thing. And then what do I do to explore this meaning, this purpose that I have? Those questions the previous uh, generation did not have answers for. Psychologists have tried. Materialists, of course, did all the wrong answers. But now quantum science has found answers. We have the archetypes. Every person has a different archetype to choose. 
And this archetype is the purpose. Archetype gives the person meaning. If that comes in life, then the identity process is no longer difficult. And as soon as the child has found some answers to the identity, parent job is finished. That happens, that should happen, something around 21. That choice is not bad. It could happen earlier for many children. Uh, 18 is fine because, as I said, they start at 15. And many children are ready by 18 to take charge. And that distinction should gradually be allowed by legal uh, means as well. So this legal age of maturity at 21 is extremely arbitrary. It should be somewhere around 18. And okay, so you are going to make a mistake for some kids who are not grown up. But as you said, uh, that example, 38-year-old still needs mother, right? There are going to uh-huh. be those cases, but... Children, I think, in an affluent country like America, should be able to take charge at about the age of 18 to 21, little late for some, a little early for some, but that's the age. And that happens if the archetypal education is given. If the archetypal education is missed, if the child gets into social media and no meaning, information processing, that kind of brain activity which really is not using the brain much at all. These are the ripe cases of later dementia. You know, one talks about Alzheimer's. If a child is totally devoted to um, using the brain for information processing and social media, watch out. That child is a ripe case where easily, easily dementia can happen. I'm not saying that it's compulsory. Development is much too complicated. Health is much too complicated to make any predictions like that. But they are making the room for dementia to set in because they are not using the brain properly. Brain's use is to uh, explode the mind. The mind's job is to give us meaning. Information is only secondary to meaning. Information we need so that we can find new meaning, because we need the information to manifest the archetypes into meaning. But other than that, information is secondary. It's meaning that we are looking for. Every child, every teenager asks the question, what is the meaning of my life? Okay, not every child, but intelligent children are asking that even at age five. So that, that question cannot be ignored. It must be addressed by parents, by teachers, by society. And we are not doing that. We are not allowing the quantum brain to come forth. If the child is not interested in meaning, how can the quantum be needed? Because we have the conditioning to carry on our day-to-day lives as a labor, as an unskilled labor. Everybody has that capacity. No need for even education. So why do we educate children? If, if we are educating children in a wrong way, why bother? Because they can do what they want to do anyway. Unskilled labor. Uh, well, so so what what it what seems to be going on is that if the old saying, if use it or lose it, and um, yes, good way of putting it. Yes. But but you know it, it's. I think it's. I think what what so many people don't understand, at least this is my perception, is that every every mistake we make 
is intended for us to learn about a greater power we have within ourselves. Mistakes are are really important. They're not they're not mistakes. They're lessons that 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 have been set up so that we can learn to grow and and so so you know happily happily I've made a lot of mistakes so I've had the opportunity to to grow a lot in my life and and I every mistake for me has been a lesson that made me a better person and and so children need to understand that it's okay to make a mistake so long as you recognize that you could have done something a better way and you've grown from it Yes, and, and I recognize don't... that part of creative process. But the problem, uh-huh. of course, is that today we live in a world where, you know, barriers are looked upon as barriers. They are not looked upon as opportunities. So this is the mindset, the Newtonian mindset versus the uh, creative quantum mindset. The mindset, Newtonian mindset is always causal. So if you have mistake, make a, made a mistake, it's serious because you have put in a wrong cause and therefore you're going to suffer. That's the lesson for materialism. A machine, if it makes a mistake, mistake circulates and machine has a problem. The software uh-huh. is not going to work properly. But we are not a machine that way. We can learn from our mistakes and and then we create the mistake as a jumping board for new exploration and correct the mistake and get what we want, which is the right meaning. This is a human capacity. If our model of ourselves is that we are machines, then of course we are not using the human capacity. <coughs> well, I think what 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 is so important for people to understand is our if if indeed our brain is I think what people don't understand is our brain is attached to our spirituality and our brain is is something to use to attend to achieve higher levels of spirituality and intellect and all other things it's not there for just that but but people have to understand that that there is programming, as with a computer, that one must go through in order to make the channels open to achieve what you're reaching for. And in so doing... Yeah, people have to understand that it's not either or either. Continue to use the Newtonian brain. We continue to use the information. As I said, we need the information in order to be creative. So it is not true that the Newtonian brain is all bad. Even the negative emotions, if they are used with some control, with some judgment, they have some use for it. Sometimes we uh-huh. need to be angry to show righteous indignation that, look, something wrong is going here, going on here, and I want it to be corrected. That requires anger, so be it. We are angry. We are using the anger circuit. That's a negative emotion. So everything has it's used, but if it is used for meaning and purpose, that's the point. I think that's yeah. what you're going to say, so I hope you. Well, you finished it well, yes. <laughs> no, I, I, I do believe that, that so many people just 
you know, shut down science because it doesn't seem to um, to connect to the spiritual. And I've heard people say, well, I'm spiritual. I'm not on the scientific, you know, area. And, mm-hmm. and yet the two modalities are what you need to reach the kind of spirituality you want to have or you know is out there. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's don't negate out the, the scientific because the scientific in many ways pro- provides a foundation to grow from into the spirituality so that you can enhance both modalities. Um, it it yes. makes perfect you sense. Uh, you have to watch it, Barbara, because what has happened, uh, the word science has been appropriated by these materialist scientists, and uh-huh. media completely that science in with that materialist lens. And so the publicity is hugely in support of a science that defies common sense, that ignores the values, ignores even the value of truth, witness the prevalence of pretension, political correctness on one hand, and dictatorial tendencies on the other hand, which is clearly manipulative. So we are between pretending values and blatantly ignoring or defying human values. And so this is the situation outside for most of the world. The psychological, um, some studies, uh, statistical studies by uh, psychologist David Hawking has shown that only about 15% of people are aware that expansion of consciousness, transformation, spirituality, these things are possible and doable and they are doing it. But that's only 15%. It's not going to stay 15%. I believe that with our effort, joint effort, collective effort, we are going to rapidly improve on this number. But still, right now, it is 15%. It's both to be heartened by, because 15% is not negligible number. If you have uh-huh. that kind of ownership of a company, you get some voice in the board of directors, so it's not negligible. But still, it's small compared to the 85%. So uh, we have to recognize the enormity of transforming these people. I think what really, um, for a long time, um, people will say, well, you know, the brain's a big brain, but we're only using 6% of it. And what your book proves and shows is that, that you, you have access to all of your brain if you, take, if you take the opportunity to understand how to utilize the brain to enhance your your physicality, your reality, and your spirituality. I mean, there's, and I think one of the interesting things was you talked about reconstructive memory, and and how we yeah. can re, do we reconstruct the memories, or 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 is it time that changes our perception? How how does that flow? Well, um, reconstructive memory is how we learn to deceive ourselves and develop a fake persona thinking that this is what we are. Reconstructive memory is a very dangerous thing. On the other hand, it is also a very important part of the brain. If we we did not have the characteristic of reconstructive memory, then also we would have a problem because reconstructive memory creates a long-term stable memory, which we need for 
our long-term growth and support. Those are the core beliefs, et cetera. They're all reconstructed into a permanent, and we don't change them anymore. So they are at once very important. The process is at once very important, but the process can be misused, and it is misused by egotists, me-centered people, to form a persona, a fake persona, and then believing that this fake persona is who I really am. And that is so dangerous. I mean, you know, you live in America, you don't have to be told um, how dangerous it is because our political leaders are all fake persona, believing that they are really who they are. But there are people Uh without a soul who never built any positive emotions, never have built any expansion of consciousness. Soul level of being is the capacity to expand consciousness. The soul... America had, a, as a country, had a soul before because its constitution is a very soulful constitution. But now look at what we have made in the constitution. It's just this, this belief to be very imperfect, etc. No, it's very advanced constitution. That's the problem. The advanced, and we are not taking advantage. We're not ready for it. For a while, we are moving in the right direction, and we are getting ready. But then we stop that materialism entered is me-centeredness, negative emotions, information processing, this cultural division between two polarized parts. This is destroying our country and the whole country, 85% to be sure, is now only worshiping their Newtonian brain. And they will not engage the rest of the brain as you so rightly put. You know, there is now evidence, neuroscientific evidence, we cite it in the quantum brain that there is actual evidence that when people meditate for a long time, they become the owner of the whole brain. Most of the time, they live in the whole brain. The different parts of the brain works in consonants, and that's the quantum brain. And the capacity of living in the quantum brain actually can be achieved by creativity and meditation. It is now experimentally demonstrated. And still people will not look at the data, still people will not believe in values, still people will not believe in meditation and creativity and engage. So we have a job cut out for us, no question. <laughs> I, I would say so. Uh, I know that uh, there, there are such great varieties of methods that you can use to sort of Break the log jam, so to speak. Um, I know the solfeggio uh, music, the the music um, with the different. Um, I think you you explain it as different wavelength um, sounds. Uh, solfeggio. Are you are you familiar with solfeggio music? The different megahertz. Yeah, that, that, and we, and we, you we, know. Yes, we can resonate with the archetypes, and that way we can, through using music, heal ourselves. We can create positive mental states. Uh-huh. Yes. You are stuck in your root chakra, and you are thinking only about your survival. And how can you elevate yourself? You listen to particular pieces of music. And that will elevate the energy into higher states, like take it to the heart, where you will expand and feel love for others, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
So, uh, but this this takes don't last very long. That's the problem. You cannot just spend your time listening to music. So you have to come yeah. down to mundane, and that's where the problem starts. So we have to somehow bring the sacred into the mundane, bring this expansion state into the mundane. And in quantum brain, if we learn to deal in the quantum brain gradually, women mentioned, we mentioned flow before. Uh, flow is one way of getting into the pre-conscious. More we act from the pre-conscious, not in the down to the gutter ego level of consciousness. So long as we learn to give up that gutter consciousness, then at least part of the time we can lift ourselves to the pre-conscious. Inspiration will do that. Quantum leaps will do that. Tangle hierarchical relationship will do that. Love will do that. Self-worth will do that. Archetypes will do that. Creative process will do that. So all kinds of ways of doing it. Meditation will do it. Yoga will do it. Tai Chi, Qigong, all kinds of practices will do it. It's not difficult. This is why the, the, the transformation process, I said initially, it's very hard, but once you get the hang of it, once you learn all the tricks, then it will seem that, ah, it is that easy. You know, you can have sex <laughs> and achieve uh, enlightenment. You know, really, have a huge expansion. Momentarily, so yeah. Properly, yeah. Well, it, it, so what happens? I mean, we all—I mean, we are surrounded by the Newtonian brain people for sure. Now, is this a, a an individual choice one has to make, or can there be situations put out there that will stir people to wake up to the fact that they are being controlled and and have them take a greater um, take greater management and into what's going on to shift their brain from Newtonian to a more spiritual aspect. I mean, I know people that, you know, I mean, I could give them a sign they could hang around their neck because they are so stuck in that one place. But how do you, doesn't the person have to make the conscious choice to change? It can't be done because they're surrounded by something else that, that they have to make a personal choice to shift their focus? Yes, I mean, we, we you know, the, the, there is a saying uh, that crisis uh, leads us to uh, these uh, moments of truth where we do need to make the choice. And the more it becomes clear uh, to the people that the uh, worldviews that run people, that our leaders are trying to sell, they, these worldviews, uh, materialist socialism or dictatorial materialism, um, uh, uh, both are only taking us to disaster, and all these problems are being exacerbated, not solved. Once they realize the solution lies in the integration of science and spirituality, solution lies in quantum science, solution lies in expansion of consciousness, solution lies in exploring our potentiality in the archetypes and try to get heaven on earth or however lofty that sounds and impossible that sounds. Once we turn our attention this way, and young people are getting aware that they're missing out in a major way on meaning and purpose. They are getting the message gradually. So there is reason to be optimistic. Um, and uh, how we can 
uh, accelerate this process is why we spend so much time on uh, talking about parenting and early childhood. Because if we take care of it early, it is so much better, not only to prevent uh, teenage suicide rate uh, or teenage depression, but also to make uh, teenagers into real responsible uh, adults who already have the identity problem solved, already know the archetype to pursue, and therefore pursue a ladder of happiness, not going backwards and become more and more contracted. There is no end to pleasure orientation because it leads to only drug addiction, more and more pleasure, and we don't have the capacity of more and more pleasure except by imbibing drugs. This is why drug culture is so popular. Materialism only leads to drugs eventually, or or megalomania, power. Power is an aphrodisiac kind of thing. So politicians get into that, but of course ordinary people cannot be all powerful people. That is just not the way the system is built. So what do they go for? They can only experience that megalomaniac. Then uh, I am the whole powerful by taking cocaine, and that's why they take cocaine. So, you know, these are problems we have to understand. And as we understand them, we have to teach. We have to be patient. We have to be very, very, very um, uh, tender and sensitive to our young people and educate, educate, educate. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just I I was very fascinated with um, also – your connection to dementia and Alzheimer's disease and how how they seem to be reflective of people that have not uh, achieved this kind of transition into a more spiritual realm. Um, I, I know I know quite a few people that that have have a, a, a case of dementia. Um, the one I can speak of with um, authority because I was a witness to it was my mother who was very, very active, and then she retired, and once she retired, she stopped doing everything, and dementia set in, which was horrifying. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, it, 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 it seemed that as soon as she stopped living a full life, she quit, and her brain just shut down. Now, I don't know if that's what happens with a lot of people, but but I, I I can think of two or three other people that had the same experience. Is that I, I know they, they they diagnose as at as dementia, but is there a physical cause to dementia or is it more of an emotional cause? There there is a physical cause. Uh, there is a plaque. Uh, kind of cholesterol buildup, you know, that one which blocks up the arteries. Similarly, the brain neuron gets a plaque called amyloid beta protein. This this particular protein, once they cover up the neuron, the neuronal memory cannot be activated anymore. In other words, we lose that memory. And this is part of dementia, main problem of dementia. So how do they happen? They happen because, um, again, we are not learning to cooperate with the heart. Heart, if you don't make it quantum, heart becomes very defensive. Then this immune system acts up 
with a defensiveness and psychological defensiveness uh, creates uh, molecules in the brain that are called inflammatory molecules, inflammation molecules. These molecules uh, are believed to be production, main source of production of this plug. So uh, how do we then uh, control dementia? This is not the only cause, by the way. Other causes, oh, we already have gone through that, not using the brain uh-huh. for proper purposes. Like the case you mentioned, as soon as she gives up the work, she is not using the brain anymore, uh, right? Now the brain won't be able to, immune system won't be able to uh, identify the brain anymore because this identifying system is going to fail. Brain is not doing its job. It's a functional failure. And that's when we develop autoimmune disease. That's when the immune system starts attacking the neuronal cells and this that is also another source of the plaque. So uh, how to prevent it? We keep people active. You know, I am yeah. 85 years old, but uh, it, it, it does not impair my creativity. I have found really amazing. Creativity only increases if you become more creative. More you engage in expansion of consciousness, the more you get it. The more creative you become. So it's an amazing process. People should not be scared of old age at all. But they do have to learn about creativity at least by the age of 60. Uh, Data is showing that if you wait after 60, then the aging process begins and some cells actually die. And then it is difficult, a little bit difficult to change. How difficult, I don't know, because for me, creativity started a long time ago. So I never uh-huh. had that problem. We are seeing this problem, you know, uh, of old age gerontology is a very active subject for quantum science. Well, I, I, I don't have your history? age, but I'm 77, <laughs> and uh, I don't think I've ever been more excited about life. So there is there is something to the creative process that absolutely is like the fountain of youth. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to, you know, get creeks and stuff like that but don't you feel feel that you are more creative today than you were before 100 100 i mean this is the amazing amazing surprise that creativity is supposed to decrease with age it doesn't no i i have found that you know there are more things lined up that I intend to do than there were 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And I said to somebody on the show the other night, you know, I was excited when I hit 60 and 70 was was even more exciting. And it's a silly thing to say, but I can't wait for 80. So there's something (laughs) there's something about flowing with this energy that is energetic and, and very exciting. Um, I do want to touch on on a couple of other things here that that I I found very fascinating. And one was was, um, the trauma experienced by a mother when she was pregnant influences the child that is not yet born. Yes. Is there, I mean, I I understand the, you know, I understand the blood flow is shared. So is the trauma in the blood flow or is is it a different trauma that is transmitted to the child in utero? 
It, it, it's, it's non-local, uh, Barbara. The thing is that what happens is that the, uh, the trauma sets up a contraction in the mother. And in that contracted state, mother can no longer empathize with the baby in her womb. In fact, she, that baby becomes part of her, that hateful dynamics that she's excluding. In other words, one starts building an interior castle in one's psyche, which nobody is allowed, even one's own baby. So this mother is not no longer giving loving kindness, which we call empathy, to the child, a non-local connection. So the child is deprived of that early non-locality, which is extremely important for children to have that quantum self-access. This is why in traditions, in old traditions, children are called God because they are, in a certain way, they live in cosmic consciousness a lot of the time. Uh, but these mothers are not giving the child the access to that anymore because it's the mother is crucial for that non-locality experience of the child. And so the child develops a kind of a hole, hole in his soul and that hole um, can be uh, uh, enhanced, amplified by a couple of other things that can happen in the brain which impairs the social ability and also the child may not find a good match for the kind of reincarnational propensity the child has. And at the same time, the child's emotional facilities, positive emotions, those access in the absence of motherly love may never flourish, altruism may never develop. In this way, the child becomes aloof, child becomes disinterested, child becomes manipulative, child becomes uh, isolated because cannot form social connection. And that is the condition that we call autism. So it begins in mother's womb. What an unfortunate thing to happen. Well, now, does the trauma have to be in con- in conjunction with the pregnancy, or could it be a trauma that, that ta- takes place outside of her, uh, a, a trauma like a car accident or, um, you know, the death of a loved like, one? It is also very dangerous, and, and so it is getting drunk, uh, that kind of trauma. But this trauma can be simple neglect from the husband. Because when the uh, wife gets very pregnant, like eight months uh, and beyond, then uh, sex becomes a bit tricky, and most husbands would not take a risk of, and uh, the wife feels neglected. But the husband should recognize that there is a more, uh, more ways of showing affection than having sex. One can just struggle uh-huh. and pay attention other ways and and this attention is most important in those months of pregnancy because the person herself is not feeling so good. I mean holding another child is a huge work and the tiredness, etc. And then attention uh, from the surrounding people is extremely important. And of course uh, if one does not get that and that is very, very serious. And of course, our society is also very, very casual about this. You know, notice that there is no pregnancy leave for uh, mothers. There is no maternity leave for mothers. 
it is really the system we have built is just so bad, so un- unkind to the little child. Uh, what can I say? Well, it, it, it's you know people think that you know parenting starts after birth, but it doesn't. It starts after conception, and well, you know well, it's. Imp- and one can argue because uh, after conception we're just a single cell. And not until we have developed the brain, we can be said to be human. So about uh, 18 weeks, 20 weeks, uh, uh, that is the logical time uh, that uh, the fetus is a human being. And then it has non-local connection with the mother. And it is very important to support that non-local connection. In other words, mothers need to be given extra care so that they can be happy people after their five months of pregnancy. Yeah, after experiencing pregnancy, yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, once was enough. Um, it was it was Tantic an experience that I'm. You know, I'm in, sorry? in the olden days, we did things routinely. We we always gave pregnant women very special honor. Uh, not just because it's the spiritual thing to do, but because it's the decent thing to do, because the child is involved. Well, that's true. But, you know, if you take it way, 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 way back, you know, women were considered, you know, um, amazing because they could produce life. And for the longest time, men didn't understand how that happened, which I think is funny. But... but, I think once they realized they had a partner, they took full credit. So, um, but but the element of of parenting a child is so important, and it's the early years that that seem to count the most. Um, do think it's in those those early years when their past life experiences are shown, and if you can enforce reinforce them. Um, in a positive way, they can have a richer life in in in, in general. Um, I think that uh, the connection that we have consciously and subconsciously and superconsciously, you, you have two consciousnesses here, um, consciousness, unconsciousness, and pre-consciousness. You want to explain the three, the difference? Yes, yes, this is a very important thing. We already touched the um, uh, subject, but we did not explain very much. Okay, so what neuroscientists have found is that we first have the possibility of a quantum self-experience. Every experience begins as a possibility, potentiality of a quantum self-experience. But that potentiality usually does not manifest. Instead, we wait about 30 uh, 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 seconds, half a minute, before we um, experience. That's the ego. This, this gap, this gap in time is called pre-conscious. Because in that time, you can, if you put an effort, you can lessen the time of conscious recognition of the event. But if you are in your ordinary consciousness, the way we usually are, we are not attentive. Meditation is nothing but an attentiveness. 
that the attentiveness enables us to enter the subconscious and the time between quantum self and the actual experience becomes shorter and shorter. Instead of 500 milliseconds, it will become like 400, it will become 300. For many long-term meditators, it takes less than 200 milliseconds. So uh, this is the kind of improvement you make, and that's what gives you the capacity of living in expansion of consciousness. Because the more you get into the pre-conscious, the closer you are to a quantum self-experience, and the more the chances are that you'll fall into the quantum self anyway without making any effort. This is the beauty of it. Once in a while, we do fall into it. Like all of a sudden, I look at the sunset and I get into an expansion. Who hasn't had such an experience? Even Freud oh, yeah. had such experience. Call it oceanic feeling, you know? We feel like we are <laughs> as vast as ocean. How much more beautifully uh, you can describe an expansion of consciousness. So we have these experiences of going into the preconscious, but we don't realize that it's as close to us as just simply learning to meditate, learning to pay attention. Absolutely. Well, it's it's to me, uh, it's phenomenal what we can absorb, what we can gather, what we can hold within our consciousness, and and then it's even more profound understanding that this is building on more material that we have stored within past lifetimes that have 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 tumbled forward into this lifetime with us, so that so that. Once you give yourself the the permission to to draw from that wealth of knowledge that you've got, you enrich your your reality profoundly, and and that of course gives you a greater opportunity to have a greater reach towards the higher consciousness, to cosmic consciousness, to whatever else is out there that that we have the potential to touch into. Yeah. The trick, as you have already mentioned earlier, uh, we didn't um, elaborate on it, is to live our life fully. Consciousness is capable of three existences. One is the unconscious. We don't use it uh, in a conscious way. In creativity, we do. That is the best part of creativity. Is do, be, do, be, do. We relax, and in the relaxation time, we are engaged in the unconscious processing. So you have to learn to use the unconscious. You have to learn to use consciousness. You have to learn to use pre-conscious. When is ego consciousness necessary? When you go to the bathroom. Who can avoid ego consciousness when cooking, when going to the bathroom? You know, these things we need. So all of the three states are needed. The best thing about spirituality, you know, the final practice is to recognize that Sexes and mundane are not different things. All are necessary for the ideal difference. Mundane and sacred form a pair of what seems to be contradictory, but eventually become supportive of each other. And when we see everything in the world as support for that spirit, that eternal, immortal spirit in us, then our basic problems of living is solved. It becomes easy without effort. You just brought up one other aspect that I do want to touch on, um, near-death experiences. 
and you had a different explanation for it than um, than than others that I've seen. And you talked about um, a patient on the operating table um, feeling as though they they were rising up and that they were looking at what was going on, and yet they couldn't possibly be. And you suggested that they weren't really seeing from their eyes you were see they were seeing the what was going on from the eyes of others how how um how do you explain about the near death experience so there are there are three things here one is the capacity for going out of the body because that is the experience uh-huh. this experience that they are hovering at the ceiling looking at their own body being operated on clearly what people call out-of-the-body experiences. How does that happen? That has to do with the crown chakra, the parietal lobe, where our body consciousness is. So when we are uh, suitably keeping that body consciousness away from us, and we can learn some tricks to do that, um, uh, then in near death it happens automatically. One does not have to do anything because the body has basically died. So the identity continues as the mind and feeling, emotional body, and that's the identity um, that people see from. How are they seeing? For that, there is a little bit of brain has to be back in uh, in life. And that is when the surgeon has already revived the patient. That's when all that near-death experience actually takes place. It's not in a dead brain. It's in a brain which has already been in the beginning of being revived, so that the memory-making capacity is already there, so that potentiality of experience is already there. So this is the one part. And then the other part is non-locality. I have already mentioned this. Uh, The person is seeing through other people's eyes. So that, uh, that's called non-locality, ESP, uh, extrasensory perception. And then the third thing is purely quantum. This is called delayed choice. The choice will actually be made when the person is fully revived. However, the choice actually goes backward in time and collapses quantum possibilities into actuality in earlier time in the proper sequence. This is what the lesson of quantum physics is. In quantum physics, this is possible. Not only possible, it has been extreme experimentally demonstrated in both cases of elementary particles and also cases of human beings. So those three things together makes this wonderful phenomenon, near-death experience, and also another similar phenomenon that is called a very high spiritual state, Nirvikalpa Samadhi Sanskrit name, uh, that same process occurs. I often, I even met a guy, Franklin Merrill an American mystic who lived in the uh, 6,000 feet on the Sierra in California. Uh, these guys had experienced this, uh, Nirvikalpa Samadhi. Well, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, I've done remote viewing, out-of-body stuff, not so much. But it's it's interesting because somebody asked me what part of you is out-of-body. And it's hard to explain. You, you talk about body, mind, soul, and spirit. What's the difference between soul and spirit? 
Okay, so soul is expression of living, just like the um, ego is expression of living. In other words, you spend time in the ego, you spend time in the soul. Uh, quantum self is a momentary experience of the present moment. You cannot be uh-huh. there except in that present moment. Then you come down. There is there is that huge difference. You, Quantum self is the totally expanded cosmic consciousness, but you cannot, that's not a station for uh, the self to stay. It's a momentary state of the self. Whereas soul is a station for the self, just like the ego is the most pervasive station for the self. So, but more and more we grow personally, the more we live in the soul. And um, this is very beautiful. So. Uh, soul can be awakened at uh, uh, childhood, as I said. Uh, uh, many children, most children, I believe, uh, has uh, some soul awakening in the childhood. This is why the soul is not to be so uncommon in the olden days. Nowadays, a lot of children are growing up completely without any soul awakening, and this is why the country has become so dysfunctional. The world has become so dysfunctional. Many people don't have any experience of soul at all. They're literally soulless people. And uh, the zombies, you might say, they literally are that. This is why the world is going to catch the topic. But as I said, there is reason to be optimistic. We just have to be patient and be better parents, be better teachers, and develop the society towards that direction, convince everybody to give up this polarized worldview convince the um, media, which is even harder than convincing the politicians, because media (laughs) is great profit. (laughs) True. Well, in those that you are saying are soulless, do they still have the potentiality of a soul, or is this something that they just won't have this lifetime? Yeah, we we have the the potentiality of the soul never goes away. Those states are easier to awaken, the states that are already built into the collective unconscious. Even when we are older, like at midlife, many people get the chance of awakening the soul at that time. We have a university, Barbara, we have established a uh, master's and PhD level program with the help of a university in India, which is fully affiliated. Uh, at this university, we teach soul awakening, uh, awakening the soul, maintaining the soul, uh, building the soul, developing the soul towards wholeness. So we are already doing uh, some, putting a major effort in this direction. I just hope that there will be more and more institutions. Transpersonal psychology institutions are also doing that. So there is some effort, and spiritual traditions also have some outlets. They are also doing that. So there is some effort. You know, as I said, 15% of people are engaged in soul awakening and soul developing. So that's our future hope. And um, humankind is guided by the movement of consciousness, and that guidance will not stop. It will only increase. So I think uh, we can all live the, uh, this show and live our life more or less optimistically. Well, it's sort of like, I, I, it feels like the soul and the consciousness 
are going to bring us to where we need to be in spite of ourselves. And sometimes yeah. even though we aren't even though we aren't aware of the process that's ongoing, there probably is inside of each of us that aspect of, you know, there's an awakening coming and and lots of people often will say to me, I feel like something special is happening, but I don't know what it is. And the reality is it's probably the, the spirit moving into new directions and, and, and more clearly in contact with the consciousness so that, for want of a better word, magic is happening. Yeah. The, the best part of it is that except for sociopaths, psychopaths, and uh, materialist individuals, uh, most people keep some openness to the soul potentiality. So people can be soulless today because of the prevalent polarization and culture, but uh, it can change just like that because the potentiality is still there and they are not completely closed off from the universal consciousness, cosmic consciousness. That closing off comes only for psychopaths, sociopaths, and um, uh, depressed people and people suffering from dementia or people suffering from schizophrenic disorders. So it is fairly rare. It also can happen to the high-minded narcissist and intellectuals. And this is why materialist intellectualism is such a dangerous thing because it can detach you from consciousness totally. But very few people have already gone that far. This is the good thing that most people retain in spite of their pretensive personality. Most people retain a little bit of opening. And so there is always hope that the movement of consciousness will affect them at some point, will connect to them at some point, and they will start seeing the light and help change. Well, those those who who have conditions like, you know, psychopaths and and other mental disorders. Do they come to this reality? Is this a lesson for them? Is it a lesson for others around them to show compassion? Isn't there a purpose to everything, even though it appears to be of a negative? Yes, uh, you are very right. There, there is now new evidence, uh, and uh, as psychologists are, uh, are writing books on it and very enthused by those books, uh, there are new theories. I'm developing one with Valentina, uh, myself. Uh, so there is hope for even schizophrenics and psychopaths and sociopaths to bring them out of this uh, total disconnect. And the hope is through this uh, word that you use, uh, compassion, empathy. Um, the empathic personality, if empathy can be fully expressed on local, it can be uh, so transformational that it can indeed overcome these uh, barriers that these people have set up for themselves in terms of dementia, in terms of uh, psychopathy, sociopathy, and schizophrenia. They do live out of reality. They do have problems with the brain. Um, and they do have um, disconnect, no question. 
but uh, powerful empathy. Uh, I mentioned Franklin Merrill before this mystic. I was uh, in his presence for a month, and I noticed huge transformation, temporary as it was, but huge transformation in me. His empathy was so strong. At that time, I was not this person that talking to you. I was a very ordinary uh, emotion suppressing um, materialist myself, but uh, I experienced such huge inspiration in his presence. So I believe that if we can build similar uh, therapies with such empathy, then we can even help that kind of uh, people with that kind of problem, that kind of constricted consciousness. Well, I have found that, uh, as I said earlier, I, I taught special education, and I found that um, especially the Down syndrome children had the greatest love and compassion and empathy for the world that, that I often thought that perhaps they were the next step in evolution, not as we were viewing them as being handicapped, but they had a compassion and a, and a connection to the spirit that was profound, that, that many people were yes. years, decades to get. Yes, and that is because their heart is open. The, the lack of the brain uh, proper development has uh, opened them to body consciousness much better, and most importantly, their heart is so open. So um, uh, they are hugely loving beings. Uh, you are completely right. And this is why the parents of Down syndrome just love them. They will not, will not give up uh, a child uh, because they uh, find it extremely expanding to even hold a child like that. And this is the tragedy that, uh, you know, only when we sacrifice the brain like that, we can awaken our heart. Can we do that in spite of the Newtonian brain? Can we change the Newtonian brain itself into quantum brain? So Newtonian brain will not be a Newtonian brain anymore. In the process, it becomes quantum brain. It can correlate with the heart and become similarly loving. We don't have to, we don't need to develop Down syndrome in order to be a loving person. It's really a tragic way of finding out our potentiality is. That is, all of us well, have that potentiality, as loving the, as the Down yeah, syndrome. The, those children had unconditional love. It was amazing. It was an yes. honor to work with them. It really was. Um, yes. I see our time is so close, and I, I do want to thank you so much for spending your time with us and, and educating us tremendously. I want to let people know that your website is www.amitgoswami.org. Um, and I want to encourage people to go and check out your website and all your books because your books are phenomenal. I want to thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Thank you, Barbara. Glad to be with you. Well, I'm, I'm going to get you back again. At least now we have the time figured out, so we can make it easier next. <laughs> thank right. you again. Right. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, this has been such an honor and an adventure for me. And um, 
and an education as well. So it will be up on YouTube shortly. Please enjoy it. Check out the other shows as well. And um, if you if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the channel. And uh, let us know you're out there because by subscribing or following whatever the little button says, that's the only way we know you're listening. It gives us hope and encouragement when we see those going up. Thanks a lot, everybody. Have a wonderful day. And um, smell a flower, watch a sunset, and get more in touch with yourself because it's a glorious way to live a life.